G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, if you remember the history of the Vietnam War, one of those parallel conflicts that was going on in the 1970s happened in the nation of Cambodia. You may be familiar with the name Pol Pot and the genocide and what was known as the killing fields, where hundreds of thousands, indeed millions of people, were killed in a dreadful Uh, onslaught against uh, people and uh, to the likes uh, that we compare those sorts of things with uh, other uh, incredible genocides like the Holocaust. Well, there is a new book that's been released, a book that is all about the story of Barnabas Mann. Uh, Barnabas is joining us today to talk about the killing fields, to talk about what life was like under Pol Pot. And as a Christian, one of only 200 who survived the dreadful time under Pol Pot and how the church has bounced back since that time. Uh, Barnabas, ma'am, welcome to 2020. Barnabas, when you think of those days back to the 1970s, are there still painful memories for you when you remember the regime that was Pol Pot and the killing fields? Uh, When I think of it, the pain is still there, but I thank God for the ability to forgive even though I cannot forget it but I thank God for the peace of inner healing through forgiveness. Take us back to before Pol Pot came to power. That was back in 1975 and the killing fields happened over a four year period through till 1979. Yes, You came to Christ as a young man before Pol Pot came to power. Three years before Pol Pot came to power. It was in April 1972, and there was a gospel meeting in Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia. And I was a communist you know, activist assigned by my communist leader to spy on that gospel meeting. And so if we were adding to that, you were also a Buddhist. So a Buddhist communist spying on an evangelistic meeting. Tell me how the evangelistic meeting affected you when you uh, saw actually, it. Actually, I experienced two conversions. The first conversion from Buddhism to communism. And then the second conversion in April 1972 was purely from communism to Christianity. So Dr. Stan Mooneyham of World Vision International was the preacher, and he preached the story of the prodigal son, and he was able to uh, help us, the Cambodian you know, people there to understand that to uh, believe in Jesus Christ is not to embrace a Western religion because Jesus was not born in any Western nations, but he was born in the Middle East. But to believe in Jesus is to return home, to be with the Father who loves us and cares for us. You were a young man in those 22 days. 22 years old. Yeah. Tell me how what was happening in the lead up to uh, the Khmer Rouge coming to power under Pol Pot? You know, uh, 
after my conversion, my dad, who was a Buddhist teacher of the law, had a chance to see me, and it was our last meeting and our last conversation. So dad asked, was asking me, son, if the Khmerus came to power and they would kill all your priests or your pastors and they would destroy all the church buildings and even burn all the, your Bibles, well, how would you practice your faith? It was a sincere question, you know. And I said, Dad, Jesus is the spirit. He is in my heart. He will never leave me nor forsake me. When the Khmerus came, I still can worship God anywhere. And then ask him about you. If all the Buddhist temple, all the Buddhist scripts, and the Buddhist monks are killed and are destroyed, how would you do that? He thought for a while. He said, it would be very hard for me to practice my faith. And since then, I never saw my dad. You know, mm-hmm. then Pol Pot came to power on the 17th of April 1975. He started a new society that was totally a country of the peasants. He imposed the ban on the schools, on the banks, on the shops, restaurants, so no, no any forms of entertainment, no medias. And so Cambodia became a dark society where everyone got to work hard under Paddy Field. And the killing was so extensive under Pol Pot. Yeah, that these, these days, uh, when it rains, uh, oftentimes uh, bones of people who were killed in the killing fields uh, continue to come to light. Uh, how extensive was the killing and how did you bear up under seeing that, uh, that genocide take place? You know, first I was uh, put in a concentration camp. So I only saw my fellow prisoners died and I had a chance to bury each of them. So out of the 300 prisoners, only 127 survived. But after those leaders in the eastern part of Cambodia fled Cambodia to Vietnam to seek military support, Pol Pot no longer trusted those leaders. So he started the second evacuation. He brought the people from the east to be slaughtered in, in the northwest at the Thai border. Over there that I saw the mass graves of over 100 bodies, over 300 bodies. And, you know, then uh, so the... The, the killings or the, the genocide became more intensive after the Vietnamese came in January 1979. Mm. And what your father warned of came to pass when he said, when if these powers come to, uh, to be, uh, they will kill the priests, they the, will kill the pastors. Even the Buddhist monks. Faith had no place under Pol Pot. No, not at all. The rich had no place to be uh, taken as the citizen of Cambodia. The the rich would arch enemy. You know, the 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 religiously committed one, any religious leader were their enemies, and anyone that had been affiliated with foreigners were enemies of the revolution. Now, only two hundred Christians survived. You were one of those 200. How did you find each other uh, in the aftermath of what was going on under the killing field? After I walked out of the killing field, you know, actually, Phnom Penh was uh, freed from Pol Pot since January, but 
for me it took me a few more months to walk barefoot from the Thai border to Phnom Penh and then I found out that for the first thing that my mom survived the killing field and she told me the story of how each of my siblings got killed then I learned that I lost six siblings three sisters and three brothers including my mom and then I Uh, got excited to find the first ever underground check in Nampen that we could meet, and we were able only to meet among 20 people. Why we chose to meet in smaller number? Easy to run away from place to place. So I could identify how many Christians survived only after we met at the first church uh, underground church service in 1979. How was the strength of the church before Pol Pot? And obviously it was almost decimated. Uh, but how strong was the church before the killing fields? Uh, the, the church experienced the first ever revival. It grew up from 700 in 1970 to 10,000 believers in 1975. You know, in five years, the church sprang up from uh, uh, to that number. But after four years of the uh, gen- uh, uh, Khmer Rouge genocide, only 200 survived. So you see, the church was com- almost completely wiped out. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Barnabas Mam is our guest. His new book is called The Church Behind the Wire. And Barnabas is also Regional Director for Asia for Ambassadors for Christ International. We'll talk some more with Barnabas in just a short while. We're back hearing the incredible story of a man who survived under the dreadful killing fields, the regime of the Khmer Rouge, led by Pol Pot, back in the 1970s, between 1975 and 1979. And we've heard that the Christian church in Cambodia numbered around 10,000 before Pol Pot and was almost completely decimated, apart from just 200 people. One of those was Barnabas Mam, and he tells his story in his new book called The Church Behind the Wire. We're talking to Barnabas now. Barnabas, when you were one of those 200, you mentioned that you were gathering together in a very small group, an underground church. Sure. How long did it take before the underground church was able to emerge and meet in open? Almost 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, and we could not meet in a bigger group than 20 people at one time. And you know... the. There were no preachers at all, except of, of, of all the three underground churches, there was only one church with a pastor, you know, and the rest, we had no pastors at all. So it's the love of God and it's the the, the Christian love that really uh, compelled one another to go on fire, you know, for, for, uh, for God and for, uh, you know, the church. I wanted to ask you about this because how does a Christian believer in such darkness, such deep darkness, discover the love of God? Uh, you know, persecuted church all over the world, the Christians especially, are not treated as citizens of the nation anymore. So we are seen and taken as strangers in our homeland, but only the Christians that love us. So we find that each time we meet, we feel the true love as a family members. In those times when you were isolated, and including the times when you were in the concentration camps, what sort of way did you experience God? Uh, I guess, and I'm talking about getting through the the trouble, the torment, the Mm -hmm. psychological pressure, the sickness, uh, the starving nature of having no food at times. 
How did you get through? Did you did you sense that there was the presence of God walking with you in that time? You know, uh, my personal encounter with the Lord is I saw and I trusted God as my shepherd. And then uh, the, the ability to recall, you know, Psalm 23 from chapter 1 to chapter 6, and I spoke Psalm 23 to restore my hope every day, twice a day. Then the more I talked it, the more I spoke it, the more I was convinced that God, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my shepherd. He's the one that uh, cared for me, the one that provided all my needs. So I just live on his supply that even was be below the basic. In the book, you tell the story of the miraculous provision of a fish. Sure. You were starving. Tell yeah. us the story. You know, early in the morning, as I woke up and I got to shout my name to salute the Khmer Rouge guard to get the permit to go to the main bathroom, we call the latrine or the toilet. It, that was about 200, kilom- uh, 200 meters away. And after I got the the, the approval to go there, and then I spoke sentences, verse one, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. And then I said, I told the Lord, Lord, today it's my turn to cook food for my fellow prisoners. I don't know how to catch a fish because I was born in the Buddhist family. I was not trained as a fisherman. Lord, provide anything that I could cook for my uh, friends. And then a fish jumped out of the pond, you know, near the trail, the little trail that I was walking, and it dropped right there in front of me in a dry rice bed, and it not, did not move anymore. Then I was able to catch one fish. Then the Spirit of the Lord prompted me to walk under another round. Then another fish came out. So that morning, I caught two fish. That was enough for us, you know. Tell me about the church as it grew in Cambodia, after Pol Pot, after that 10 years that it took where you had to meet underground, yeah. the church began to grow. When things were out in the open, you could meet in public. Uh, how did the church take uh, take a hold? Uh, how did it go from strength to strength from that now, point? From 1979 to 1992, the church was known as the remnants of the Christian survivors. It was recognized by the Communist Party as part of the society only in 1992, but they failed to declare their approval as public, that now the church is recognized as part of the society. Then in 1993, uh, all the Cambodian factions, three factions in the exile were brought back for the, you know, the election for the new coalition government. But then the constitution of Cambodia uh, stated that now, Every people, every citizen could embrace any faith as he likes to. Now, we have freedom to worship God since 1993. And since then, from three underground churches, the church grew to almost 4,000 churches now. 4,000 churches yes, now in almost, Cambodia. Yeah. And then from th- 200 survivors among the Christian population, now almost half a million Christians in Cambodia. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the government in Cambodia today, how difficult is it still? Because it's not uh, completely easy being a Christian in Cambodia. Obviously, compared to those days, uh, things are much easier, but there are still some restrictions on the church in uh, Cambodia? Uh, the restriction is 
not from the government, it's from the grassroots authority. But if the Christian church and the leaders know how to make friends with them, then they will never come to trouble you anymore. So I believe that friendship evangelism is the key for the church growth in Cambodia. Maintain friendship with the people around us, you know, and then just preach Christ, Christ crucified. Barnabas, as you reflect on your book, which has only just recently been launched, what is the special thing you hope to communicate through your book to Australians who will pick up this book and have a good read? Uh, my, my point is, it's not about asking ourselves how much I can do for God. No, the question is, how much would I allow God to work through me, you know? Because I, in, in those days of difficult time, I never dreamed of becoming a minister of the gospel. I just asked God for another day of survival. But this God, who had his sovereign plan, bigger, his plan is bigger than my life. He not just transformed me from, from us being a survivor, but to be a minister of the gospel. And you head up the Ambassadors for Christ International. You're the regional director for Asia. Yeah, that includes also Australia. It includes Australia. Yeah. And it takes you to the surrounding countries yeah. uh, around Cambodia. You tell your story everywhere. Uh, I guess you're getting quite a good reception when you tell your story. People, uh, Many people in that part of the world, in Southeast Especially Asia, will relate those to who it. are still in a restricted nation like in Vietnam, in Laos, they are very encouraged by hearing my story. And your ministry is about planting churches, it's uh, about encouraging Training disciple makers and training pastors, that's all. Yeah. Well, I'll point people to Ambassadors for Christ. Just simply Google Ambassadors for Christ. And if you'd like to get a hold of Barnabas' book, it's called The Church Behind the Wire. And you can get it at good Christian bookstores or online through Amazon. Barnabas, ma'am, thanks so much for being with us today You're on 2020. You're welcome, Neil. It's so nice talking with you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.